Well, the Christmas season is upon us. It began commercially on what is known as Black Friday. That's the day after Thanksgiving. Some of you are probably out there in force. Maybe not. It continues through tomorrow, which is actually known as Cyber Monday. It is the day when a lot of people are buying things on the Internet. These are two days which are often touted as the biggest retail days of the year. But spiritually, it begins today. Because today is the very first day of the Advent season, which has been celebrated by the church for many centuries. Advent, as you can probably guess, as you even kind of look around the church and you things like, see things like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and hark the glad sound. Comfort, comfort ye, my people. Come, Lord Jesus. You see, prepare the way. Advent is that period of expecting, expectant waiting and preparation of the nativity. And it comes from a couple of different words. Advent comes, first of all, from a Latin word, which is adveniri, which means to prepare, to get ready for something. In the New Testament, we have the same word, but it's in Greek. And the word there is parousia, parousia, where we kind of get the word paradise from. It, it means presence or coming. And in the New Testament, this word applies to the second coming of Jesus, Judgment Day is what we might call it. So the idea of the Advent season, these next four weeks, is that we commemorate the first coming of Jesus, uh, that's Christmas, and at the same time, We look forward to his second coming. Now, throughout all of uh, Christian history, going back almost to the very beginning, the church has followed a system of reading certain passages on certain Sundays through the year. In fact, I have in my hands here the 2009-2010 church year calendar. We're in series C. A long time ago, somebody decided that we should be reading certain scriptures on certain Sundays on a regular basis. Now, the reason they did this was because at the beginning, you had so many people who were illiterate. They could not read if they wanted to. The second reason was is because they could not necessarily afford to buy a book. Therefore, there was great emphasis given on the public reading of Holy Scripture, much like you heard it today as Jimmy shared with you from Luke chapter 21. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, 13, uh, Paul tells young Timothy, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Now, I don't know if you caught that. It says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. See, reading Bible passages, reading scriptures from the Bible, was integral to the worship service. In fact, in many ways, the reading of Holy Scripture is far more important than what we would call today the sermon or the message. Now, today, I would say that it's still the most important thing. In fact, it is probably the only thing, the only part of our entire service this morning that you can be absolutely sure that it is totally and completely 100% perfect. And the reason I say that is because when Jimmy read the Word of God, guess what? He was reading the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God to you. 
Now, my sermons, as good as they might actually be on occasion, do not qualify as infallible, inspired, or inerrant. It's by the fact that I make every attempt to stay as close to God's Word as humanly possible. But the reading of Scripture does. Our mistake is that sometimes we view the reading of Scripture as being something we got to get out of the way so that we can make way for the special music or the offering or whatever comes next. Sometimes we don't give the public reading of Scripture the elevated status it deserves. In fact, one thing that I am planning on doing, and I've already made some changes for this coming year, is to put more emphasis on this essential part of the worship service, the public reading of God's Word. But I digress a little bit. We are here at Christmas time. And for the next four Sundays as we gather, we're going to be preparing for one of the most special days of the year. The day in which God entered our human history in the form of a helpless baby. And we know that it was through that little child, that little baby, that our sins are forgiven. We know that through that little baby, through Jesus, we have life. We have life abundant here on earth and we have life eternal in heaven with him. And as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, we will for the next weeks looking, look at some of the Bible passages that historically have been read in worship services on the Sundays before Christmas for centuries. And specifically in the next four weeks or so, we're going to be taking a look at the scripture readings from the Gospel of Luke. Now, as you can tell from seeing that screen up there, I've already kind of chosen to shape these sermons into a series I'm going to call Mending Christmas. Now, the fact is that Christmas itself does not really need to be mended. But as I look out at the state of the world, as I look at the state of our society and the ways in which we all too often approach Christmas, I can suggest to you that there perhaps are some attitudes that we have that ought to be mended. So this series of messages from Luke's Gospel will show us how to mend our approach to Christmas in order to make Christmas not only better for ourselves, but to make Christmas better for our families, for our church, and perhaps even for our community. Today we look at Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 36. It comes from a sermon that Jesus preached about the second coming. And I know that I was going to preach a specific sermon today about the second coming, but I decided I could probably do four of these in the next week, all of which point about to a first coming and the second coming. See, the celebration of the first coming and the anticipation of the second coming of Christ are closely connected. And that's because both things, both the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, teach the very same thing. And what they teach us is this. God has his hand on human history. That's the point, that God has his hand on human history. These events, whether it's the first coming of Jesus or the second coming of Jesus, reminds us that history is moving in a specific direction, and it's all under the hand of our Almighty God. Now, throughout history, there have always been people who said that history has no meaning. It has no purpose. There are some people who say that history is just kind of an endless cycle of random, meaningless events. But I'm here this morning to tell you, friends, Christmas teaches the exact opposite, and so does the imminent second coming of Jesus. It teaches us that God has not abandoned us no matter what we think or how we feel. 
God is not ignoring us. God is not out there somewhere just kind of casually disinterested in us. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And he's willing, ready, willing, and able to plug us in to that plan and purpose. Now, I've had conversations with people in the last couple of days who have suggested to me that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, who have said to me that the world is spinning out of control, that none of this makes sense. Where is God in the midst of this? Yesterday morning, for example, I heard from a, a, a former member on behalf of her husband who is spinning out of control because one of his best friends, his hunting buddy, shot and killed his wife, his two children, and himself on Thanksgiving Eve. None of that makes sense to him. This is a man with whom he was going to go hunting this weekend with his son and the other man's son. My reminder, as I'm going to have the opportunity to talk to him later, is that God has not abandoned him. God is still in control. In his time, God will intervene in history just as he did on that first Christmas day. And yet I know that some people think that their world is spinning out of control because of the circumstances that they find surrounding themselves. There are people in our communities today, not just here in Texarkana, but all over, who are struggling financially. There are some people who are experiencing trouble at home, maybe not as deep as taking the life of everyone in your family. Maybe you're rather uncertain about what the future holds for you. Uh, maybe you think that your life is just a, a kind of a, uh, a random series of chaotic events. But Christmas is a reminder, and the promise of the second coming is a reminder, that God has in no way abandoned this world or his people. So no matter how things may look to us on the surface, the truth is God is in control. He's in control of history. He's in control of yesterday. He's in control of today. He's in control of tomorrow. And if he's in control of all of that, guess what? Then he is in control of the circumstances in your life right now. Now, in the Bible, he has promised that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He has promised that he will always watch over us. He has promised that he will always take care of us. He has promised that he will always carry us through the difficult situations that we're going to have to deal with from time to time. Those are his promises. They're all found right here in his word. One of those promises Jimmy shared with you earlier today came from verse 33 of chapter 21. Heaven and earth will pass away. In other words, what we see around us someday, folks, is going to be gone when that second coming comes. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what does he say? But my words, my words will never pass away. There are some people I know that are approaching this coming Christmas season with a sense of dread. Maybe some of you are here too. Maybe it's because some of you know that you're going to be spending Christmas pretty much by yourself. Maybe it's because you pretty much know that you can't even begin to afford all of the stuff that you've already put on credit cards hopefully to make this a good Christmas for someone. Maybe it's because you know that there will be way too many demands on your time, too much stress in your household, too many expectations to meet. That one I can understand. Because when I laid out the schedule for December, actually starting today, I realized that in the next 30 days, 
I have 10 to 12 different sermons to prepare. And that has nothing to say about any of the church services that revolve around them. That can provide a fair amount of pressure should you choose to allow it to do so. I'm all done with December. I'm home free. Maybe there are some of you who think, just like Merle Haggard once sang, if I can just make it through December, I'll be just fine. But friends, there's a better way to approach Christmas. There really is. It's a way that leads to victory and joy. It's a way that leads to power and hope and expectation. And if you just adjust your attitude, you know, up north, they, they used to have happy hours at the local bars, and then they finally said you couldn't have happy hours, so they changed the name, Attitude Adjustment Time. Well, what we need is not a happy hour. What we need is this attitude adjustment time. We need to mend our way of Christmas thinking. And if we do that, we can kind of pave the way for a truly blessed holiday season. What I want to look at this morning from our text are are just three mental habits that we need to get at and get at again and again. I think habits that will fortify us for whatever we may face between now and the time you take the tree down, throw it out on the front Uh, lawn and put all those ornaments back in the attic or wherever you put them. Here's habit number one. Habit number one, keep looking up. Keep looking up. In Luke 21, Jesus is talking about all of the negative things that are occurring in the world. He says there are going to be wars and rumors of wars. There are going to be revolutions. There are going to be earthquakes. There are going to be uh, famines in the land. He said people are going to experience a sense of fear and distress. But he also says that these events will lead up to the climactic return of Christ when he'll come and quite literally save the day for his people. Jesus said in verse 28 of our text, when these things begin to happen, and guess what? These end time things will begin to happen. And some of you might say, Have they already started, Pastor? And I'd say, yeah, we're already in the end times. We're in the end times. Some of these things are already beginning to take place. But when this kind of stuff begins to happen, what does Jesus say? He says, look up and lift up your heads. Now, does that sound vaguely like an Advent hymn that you have ever sung? Lift up your heads, you mighty gates. The King of glory waits. He said, look up, lift up your heads. Why? Because your redemption draws near. When bad times are coming, look up. Why? Because Jesus is on the way. Friends, you can be sure that, the most, that your most difficult days, the most difficult times you face, are not a permanent condition. Your life is not going to disintegrate into chaos. Things won't be getting worse forever and ever. And the reason is, is because your redemption is drawing near. Now, Jesus spoke these words about the second coming. And I don't know, the second coming is going to be a pretty grand and glorious time. I I sometimes don't really care much one way or the other if I'm here or not. But part of me says, I'd like to be here when the second coming comes. I'd love to see the sky crack open and the horns blow and the angels come down. And Jesus on that white horse that you saw in that picture before leading the charge and watching all the people separate in the sheep and goats and hoping I'm in the sheep line. Well, I know I'll be in the sheep line. I'm confident of that in my faith. 
That'd be a grand and glorious time. But I want you to know something that these words that your redemption is drawing near don't just apply to one day, potentially far off in the future. They apply to your life right now, November the, what is this, 29th, 2009. See, we see again and again in our Bibles, as we study our Bibles, that when people keep looking up to God in the face of challenging circumstances, God comes through to them in a powerful way. I mean, let me give you a few examples. When Joseph was in prison and he looked up to God, what did God do? God delivered him, made him second in command of all of Egypt. When Daniel was in the lion's den and Daniel looked up, God delivered him. When David faced a nine and a half foot tall giant, he kept looking up and God delivered him from the hands of his enemy. Even Jonah, who found himself in the belly of that great big fish as a result of his own stupid rebellion, when he started looking up to God, God came through for him and had the fish vomit him up on the beach. God still delivered him. When Paul and Silas found themselves in a dungeon, they kept looking up and God delivered them. When Peter was arrested and put in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, he kept looking up for the Lord until finally what? The chains fell off, the doors burst open, and enabled him to go free. So when Jesus says the world seems to be falling around, uh, around you, don't fix your eyes on the circumstances. That's what we always do. Oh, no, we're looking down here. We're looking at all the trouble around us. He said, he said look up. Lift up your head. Your redemption is drawing near. He's on the way. See, just like Jesus entered the world on Christmas Day in order to save us from our sins, Jesus desires to enter your life to deliver you from all the problems that you may be facing now or will be facing in the future. So just make it a habit this Christmas to look up. Look up to heaven. No matter what you're facing, keep looking up. No matter how dark today may be, keep looking up. Your redemption is drawing near. Here's the second habit. Take hold of your heart. Take hold of your heart. Verse 34 says, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day, meaning judgment day, come upon you unexpectedly. I looked this passage up in a number of other versions, and one I kind of liked was the message version. The message version says, be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled by parties and drinking and shopping. Aha. See, for many people, this is exactly what the next four weeks are all about. Parties and drinking and shopping. I mean, for many people, this isn't just the way that they approach Christmas. This is how they approach all of life. I mean, there are a lot of people, for example, who take a little drink and sometimes a lot of drink just to take the edge off the difficulties of life. And they worry about how they're going to eventually pay for whatever they bought that they may maybe should not have bought. They're worried about the consequences. As a result, what does the Bible say? Their hearts begin to be weighed down. And it's weighed down. Why? Because this is all life is for some people. 
parties and drinking and shopping. Jesus said, beware that that doesn't happen to you. He said, guard your heart. And if you, if you don't want to just take Jesus' word for it, which is good enough, you find it elsewhere in Scripture. In Proverbs, Solomon says, keep your heart with diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. In Colossians 3, Paul says again, set your heart on things above. And I would guess that if you had your eyes up and you're looking because your salvation is coming, your heart is going to be tilted up too. Now, I'm just encouraging you. In fact, this is probably as good, probably enough of a message for myself as it is for you. Because I, I want to encourage myself to do these things. And I'm praying these things for you and for myself for these next four weeks. And one of the things I pray especially for myself and for you is that you just take care of your heart. Take care of your heart, friends. Don't let anything come between you and your relationship with Jesus. Don't let parties, don't let drinking, don't let shopping, don't let nothing come between you and your relationship with Jesus. Make it a daily habit to set your heart on Him. Now, the question is, how would you do that? Well, it's probably going to be different for everybody. But one way to do it is to talk to him. In other words, pray. Sing to him. What was the last time that you actually just sang to Jesus and you weren't accompanied by an organ or a band or anything else? You just sang to Jesus on your own. When was the last time you did that? Maybe you ought to try it. Begin every day listening to worship music. Now, I made a joke this morning. I, I asked Gwen, I said, what do you think it would be like if the last song we heard before we came into church was the first one we, we sang in church? <laughs> well, the last one I heard before I came in was, play that funky music, white boy. <laughs> well, <laughs> I had switched radio stations before I came over here. <laughs> but I, I was listening to Caleb as I was working on my sermon this morning, and I find myself singing along with those songs. And occasionally I put in a Beyond the Ashes CD or, or something like that as well. It, it begins by turning off the television. I mean, why do some people start their day by watching the news? How does that get you in, in a positive mood? You know, maybe you need to turn it off. Maybe you need to leave your computer off until you've got your devotional time done. Uh, a pastor friend of mine, Pastor Tony, has told me that uh, he has decided, uh, first of all, that he will not spend as much time on Facebook as he, more time on Facebook than he does in his Bible, and that he will always be in his Bible before he's ever in his computer. That's his commitment this year. You know, make it a daily habit uh, to take hold of your heart and to put your heart where it belongs. And to be quite honest, folks, your heart doesn't belong in some places. Put it where it belongs. Put it in the face of God. Here's habit number three. Pray for strength. Jesus said something in verse 36 that, boy, it sounds like good advice for 2009. It sounds like good advice for the years to come. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. This nation of ours has been through some tough times in the last few years. We're going through some tough times right now. Uh, some people say that economically speaking, we've turned the tide. I don't know, maybe so, maybe no. Uh, but we can be sure of this. If we have indeed turned the tide and things are starting to look up for us financially, it is at best 
only a temporary recovery. Now, I'm not a prophet of doom, but the fact is that our lives are cycles of ups and downs. We go through good times and we go through bad times. The market is high, the market is low. Jobs are everywhere and jobs are nowhere. Our problem is, is we make the mistake of thinking that whatever state we happen to be in, it will always be this way. I mean, if it's a downtime, we sit there and go, oh, it's a downtime. We're in the worst economy ever. It's always going to be this way. Gosh, we all ought to do an imitation of Eeyore, huh? Oh. But when air is good, we all say, hey, happy days are here. It's going to be this way for the rest of our No, not necessarily. Let me just give you a little reality check. If you're going through hard times right now, friends, they'll pass. They'll get better. And if you're going through some really good times right now, just wait. Things will get bumpy sooner or later. It's just important that we remember the temporary condition of life. And until we get to heaven, guess what? Good times are not going to last forever. And while we're here on earth, bad times are not going to last forever either. What we need is the power and the strength to deal with whatever happens to come our way. And that's why Jesus says here, Watch therefore and pray. Or pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things, these end times things that come to pass. Or the New Living Translation says, Pray that you might be strong enough to escape the coming horrors. See, he's talking about the end times again. The days before the second coming. When life on earth will be really difficult to live. But his words also apply to the trials and the tribulations that you and I face in our day-to-day life. We just need to pray that we'll be strong enough to handle it. And in doing this, when we pray for this strength, what we're really doing is making this acknowledgement, God, I don't always have it in me to do everything I ought to do. Please give me the strength to endure. We've got Christmas 2009 staring us in the face. We celebrate Christmas for the same reason that we celebrate the second coming of Christ. Both of them remind us that God has not abandoned his people. God has not abandoned us. God is, is committed to us, and God is actively involved in human history. And we ought to approach the coming days just like we would approach the last days of this world. And that is to keep Jesus front and center in your life. You do that, you'll, keep, you'll make it through. And as you go through tough times, don't have your eyes always focused on all that's going on around you. Keep looking up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Lift up your head. Why? It says because your redemption is drawing near. And as you face whatever comes your way, even as you face the stress of the coming weeks, have a firm grip on your heart, friends. Guard it. Don't let anything come between you and your commitment to Jesus. Not parties, not drinking, not shopping, not nothing. Keep Jesus front and center. And as you continue to face life's ups and downs, pray for strength to endure whatever comes your way. Pray for the chance to be counted worthy to stand before Jesus someday and hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
So there you got it. Keep looking up. Guard your heart. Pray for strength. That means in everything you do, keep Jesus front and center. That's how you survive whatever life throws your way, whether it's challenges at home or at work or in school or challenges with your money or your health or whatever. It's how you survive the toughest days of human history. And it's how you're certainly going to be able to face the next four weeks. And the reason why is this. When you keep Jesus front and center, you don't just survive. You thrive. You want to thrive this year, friends? You want to enjoy this Christmas to its fullest? Keep Jesus front and center. Let's pray. Father, we get so caught up in the stuff of this world. So many things that distract us. So much stuff that just consumes our time. And in the process, we lose sight of you and we lose sight of the meaning of life. We don't want to miss the celebration of the gift of your son Jesus into our world. And neither do we want to miss the second coming when Christ comes to judge this world and to take his children home. Help us keep Jesus front and center, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.